Welcome to the City Reach Baptist podcast. If you would like more information about the life of our church, please go to our website at cityreach.com.au or like us on Facebook. We hope you enjoy this message. Real pleasure to be with you today. Uh, For those of you who don't know me, my name is Graham and uh, my family, Irina and the kids, we've made quite a journey to be here in Australia, Adelaide. We've been uh, from Korea to Hong Kong and now we're in Adelaide. Uh, I've spent the last 13 years of my life Uh, in Hong Kong. So today we find ourselves in Daniel chapter 4. Now in Hong Kong, if you were to go there, you would find the number 4 in very few places. So example, if you went into a lift, they don't have the fourth floor. If you went into a restaurant, you're not going to find table number 4. You know, even on prices, they leave out the number 4. And the reason for this is, in Chinese, in Cantonese and Mandarin, the number four sounds very much like the word death or to die. So today's chapter could be well-named the chapter of death. And underneath all that is actually a, a fear that people have, right, of death. I mean, we just think that if we don't actually mention the word death, it just doesn't exist. So there's a fear and a superstition that exists that we have with it. But today, in the chapter that we're going to find out, we're actually going to look at death, but not the death of an individual, but the death of a man's pride. And to be honest with you, it's relatively easy to kill someone's body It's a lot harder to kill someone's pride. And just as we dive into this chapter, I wonder for myself, why do I find it so hard for my pride to die? Why do I want to hold on to those things that exalt myself? So we need to look at this, right? So how are we going to do it this morning? I want us to look at who this man was who had this pride issue. How did the death of pride happen in his life? And why is that important to us? Who he was, how did it happen, and why is it important? So our story starts today with a state document. Did you know that in your Bible you have a state document from the ancient Babylonian Empire? And it's a decree sent by one of the most powerful kings that the world has ever Scene. It was a guy by the name of King Nebuchadnezzar. Now, if you've journeyed with us through Daniel so far, you would have encountered Nebuchadnezzar, and I hope that he doesn't give you warm, fuzzy feelings, because this is not a nice guy. He's, he's totally unpredictable. He's got an ego that's huge. He, he, he executes people. He throws them in a fiery furnace. He's all over the place. You know, in a James Bond movie, Nebuchadnezzar would be like the ultimate villain. You know, he's got this power and he's just seeking more and more of it. But this document that he writes is not a declaration of war or victory. Because up until then, every time Nebuchadnezzar penned a decree, it was usually to say, I'm going to war against this nation, or we have beaten this nation. But this decree 
is something very different. It is a decree of peace. It's a decree of defeat. It's about a man who's found God and he wants the world to know. He's sending it out to his empire. Whoever can read this, I want you to read it. That you know me as someone who has conquered the world, but I want you to know that I have been conquered by God. So let's just put that into today's terms. Could you imagine any prime minister or president getting on their Facebook account and saying, I want you all to know that I am here only by the grace of God. It is his position that he has put me here. Could you imagine that happening, especially this past week? But that's exactly what happened here, right? Nebuchadnezzar is sending this out, and it's beautiful. It actually reads like a, a psalm of praise. He's talking about God's his signs, his wonders, his kingdom, his dominion. And that's awesome. But when you realize who it is that actually wrote that decree, it's even more powerful. So how did we get here? How did Nebuchadnezzar get to this point where he's able to write this down? And it's quite a journey for Nebuchadnezzar because he actually, he wrestles with God three times, three battles. The first battle takes place, Daniel chapter 1, he has this nightmare. And it's a nightmare for him because in this nightmare, he finds out that his kingdom is not going to last. It's going to be God's kingdom that is going to last forever. And he, he panics, he calls in all people and he says, tell me my dream and tell me this interpretation. No one can do it. But Daniel comes to the rescue and said, there is a God in heaven who knows dreams and the interpretation. And he tells Nebuchadnezzar the meaning of his dream. But does Nebuchadnezzar then bow the knee to the Lord and say, well, the Lord exists. I will worship him. No, he just promoted Daniel and went on with his life. Round two, we read about last week in Daniel chapter three. It was about 18 years later. Nebuchadnezzar, huge ego, he builds a statue and he tells everyone you need to bow down and worship it. But three guys, three men refuse to do it. And he has this little temper tantrum, like a three-year-old. How dare you not listen to me? I've decreed that you should do it. So I've got my own little private hell. I'm the judge. I'm going to judge you and send you to hell, the little fiery furnace. But Nebuchadnezzar is blown away because it doesn't quite work out like he expected. He puts them in hell in his little fiery furnace. And you know what? They don't even get burnt. They don't even smell like smoke. It's this miracle that he witnesses before his eyes. I don't know if you like me, but I used to always think that if people just saw miracles, they would believe. But you know what? That's not true because Nebuchadnezzar witnesses this incredible miracle and he still doesn't believe. He doesn't bow the knee to the Lord Most High. So, Daniel chapter 4, it's about 12 years later. God steps into his life again. And this time, it's a, with a tragedy, a disaster. It's at the man who's at his peak of his power, he needs a tragedy to bring him to God. You know, praise God for tragedies. Now, that's a difficult thing to say when you think about it. But 
tragedies and disasters are not the worst thing that can happen to us. Sometimes they're the very thing that we need to bring us to God, to show us who he is. So that's Nebuchadnezzar. So how did it happen, right? How did this moment happen? Read with me verse 4. This is what it says. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. He's at peace. He's at ease. He's conquered everything. He's conquered the nations. Money's pouring into his little kingdom. And what does he do? He just builds himself up. He builds these massive building programs. He built this this capital called Babylon. And if you got on a plane and you went to modern-day Iraq and you landed in Baghdad and you went about 90 kilometers southwest, you would find this. I hope we've got a picture for us. There it is. The ruins of Babylon, this impressive city of the ancient world. And Nebuchadnezzar wanted everyone to know that he had built this capital. So on the walls all around this magnificent city, there was a picture of a lion and an inscription written on it. And here it is, right? This is what he said. I am Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. He also married a queen from Media, right? So the the Medes and the Persians, he married a queen from there. And one day he gets home and he notices that his queen is, is looking a bit down. She's looking a bit sad. And he goes, honey, what's, what's the matter? You know, I've brought you to Babylon. She goes, you know, oh, king, it's, it is great. You've built this amazing thing. But what I really miss is the forested mountains of media. So King Nebuchadnezzar says to her, honey, you know what? I'm King Nebuchadnezzar. I'm going to build you a forested mountain. And I'm not making this up. This is, this is really what happened. And he built her what became known as the Hanging Gardens of Babylon. And it was incredibly impressive. They became one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, these gardens. People would come in and they would gasp, oh my goodness, look at those gardens. I mean, even the Adelaide Oval had nothing on the Hanging Gardens of Babylon. That's how impressive it was. But... There's always a but, right? There was an underbelly to all this. There was another side to all this because that city, that empire was built on slave labor. It was built on oppression. It was built on conquering other people. You know, the visitors didn't see that when they came. Nebuchadnezzar knew about it and he did nothing about it. So this peace, this ease which he feels... God loved Nebuchadnezzar enough to take away that ease, to take away that peace, because it was a false peace. It was a false ease. And Nebuchadnezzar probably thought to himself, I'm living the dream. And then he has a dream. And he has this dream that he sees this tree and it's, it's spreading out. It's, it can be seen from far away. It spreads to heaven. Its branches are spreading out. And all the the, the animals live below it. The birds live in its trees. And then he hears the voice of a holy one that says, Chop it down. Strip the branches. Scatter the fruit. Let the birds fly away. The animals scatter. And all that's going to be left of it is a little stump. And in that stump, you just bind it with bronze and iron. 
And then the, the, the dream changes, right? And it goes from talking about a tree to talk, the pronoun changes to him. And it says, let him be wet with the dew of heaven. Let his dominion be with the animals. Let him have the mind of an animal. And this dream terrifies Nebuchadnezzar. But here's the crazy thing, right? When I read that, I think, why didn't he send for Daniel straight away? Right? Like he had known, Daniel had rescued him in chapter, chapter one. But what does he do? He goes straight back to his wise men, the magicians, the Chaldeans, the enchanters, and he says, he even tells them the dream this time. He says, this is the dream, tell me what it means. And they couldn't do it. Now, I don't think it's so much that they couldn't do it in as much as they didn't want to. I mean, they could have just made something up. I mean, but if you get this wrong, this is the kind of guy who executes you or throws you in a fiery furnace. You don't want to make him angry. And here's another interesting bit of information. Archaeology has shown us that when they dug up Babylon, they found these clay tablets. And on one of the clay tablets was one of Nebuchadnezzar's public speeches. And this is what he said. He said, my empire is like a spreading tree. Okay, so out of Nebuchadnezzar's own mouth, my empire is like a spreading tree. I have a dream of a spreading tree that's chopped down. I wonder what it means. Now, I think Nebuchadnezzar had a very good idea what it meant. And it struck fear in his heart because he knew it was a threat to him personally. And finally, after his magicians, his enchanters couldn't help him, he gets Daniel. He says, Daniel, what is it? You are a truth teller. You will tell me as it is because you have the spirit of the holy gods in you. And that's just pagan talk for you have the spirit of God in me. You will tell me the truth. And Daniel, he's quiet for a time. And then he says to King Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar, you are that tree. Read with me, verse 22. It is you, O king, who have grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown and reaches to heaven and your dominion to the ends of the earth. But you are going to lose it all. You are going to go down, down, down until you have nothing left but the mind of an animal. Now, I want us to stop here for a second because this is important, right? I want us to look at Daniel's response. I want you to put yourself in Daniel's shoes and imagine who it is you're talking to. So if I was Daniel, I think I would be very tempted to actually be happy about this, right? Here it is, Nebuchadnezzar is finally going to get what's coming to him. I mean, did Nebuchadnezzar deserve this? Yeah, absolutely. You bet he did, right? So it's kind of like in a James Bond movie when the bad guy at the end of the movie, he's finally getting what's, what's coming to him. You enjoy that. I enjoy that, right? And I mean, you don't even want him to die quickly. You want him to die slowly. You want him to suffer a little bit. But look at Daniel. He has this concern for Nebuchadnezzar. The end of verse 19 says this. It says, My Lord, may the dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies. 
It's like, I don't want this to happen to you. He has this concern for him. I mean, this is the person who destroyed Jerusalem, took everyone away into exile in Babylon, threw his friends in a fiery furnace. And yeah, he's saying, I don't want this to happen to you. It says Daniel was dismayed. You know, we, we need to be courageous and we need to be honest and tell the world that there is a judgment. That you don't get away with anything. That one day you will stand before a righteous judge. But we should never, ever, ever do it with a sense of, of pride and enjoyment. In a sense, it should never be easy for us to talk about judgment until we have this concern and compassion for the people we are talking to. Even someone as wicked and cruel as Nebuchadnezzar, there is a heart and a compassion there because everybody is made in the image of God. I want you to notice another thing that Daniel does, right? Not only is he concerned for Nebuchadnezzar, but he offers him counsel. So verse 27, Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. You know, God doesn't do this unless it's deserved. But he gives Nebuchadnezzar his mercy in giving him this dream. If he just wanted to judge Nebuchadnezzar, he would have done it. Don't give him the dream. Just judge him and, and, and send this on him. But he gives him this dream, this warning. And, and Daniel hears this and he begins pleading with Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar, leave your past. Live right. Live for righteousness. Maybe, maybe there will be a lengthening of your prosperity. But 12 months passed. And in those 12 months, did Nebuchadnezzar stop and look around him and see what was going on and take action? Did he stop and examine his own heart and see the pride that was in there and do something about it? No. No. He forgot about his fear, forgot about this moment where God wrestled with him, and he went back to his proud building programs. He became the same old sinner that he was before. You know, very often, time is the best test of real repentance. What's a person like a year later? And for Nebuchadnezzar, a year later, he's this proud man. I mean, you can almost see his chests puffed out, and he's walking on the walls of Babylon. These walls, they used to have chariot races around. They were so thick. And this is what he says. He's looking out at his kingdom. Verse 30, and he says, Is this not great Babylon, which I have built with my mighty power as a royal residence for the glory of my majesty? Now, I don't know about you, but when I read that, it reminds me of a section of the Lord's Prayer. Except there's one major difference. It's not yours is the kingdom, yours is the power, yours is the glory. It's mine is the kingdom, mine is the power, mine is the glory. 
A good friend of mine, Kevin, uh, he's from South Africa. And when Kevin was a teenager, he did a mission trip up to the DRC, the Democratic Republic of Congo. And he went with a guy called Henny. Henny was leading the mission. He's a, a short Afrikaans man. And uh, Henny didn't say much, but when he spoke, you listened. So anyway, Kevin's telling the story. One night, they, uh, after being ministering the whole day, they're sitting around the fire and they're eating. And Kevin's busy talking. And then suddenly, Henny looks up and looks at him and he says, You know, Kevin, I pray that God would take the eye out of you. And everyone goes silent and looks at Henny. And then he says this. He goes, for the last 15 minutes, I've listened to you talk. And all I hear is, I'm going to do this for God. I'm going to build this church. I'm going to go here. And my prayer is that God would take the eye out of you. And then Henny picked up his plate and went to his tent. It was a very awkward after that. And Kevin said that night after he got over the embarrassment and he's sitting in his tent, he went down on his knees and he said, Lord, take the eye out of me. And you know, Kevin told me that story and I laughed because I know Henny and I know that's what he does. And then I thought, God, you need to take the eye out of me too. And that's exactly what God is going to do to Nebuchadnezzar. He's going to take the eye out of him. Because you see, Nebuchadnezzar is walking along. Who's he talking to? He's talking to himself, right? He's having this awesome conversation with himself. He probably thinks this is the most intelligent conversation that I'm ever going to have, you know? It's like, what pride? You know, I'm, I'm probably the only person who gets how awesome I am. Who's awesome. Have you guys ever had that conversation in your head? Like, okay, I'm... But do you notice how pride alienates? Because when you're proud, you naturally puff yourself up and you look down on others and other things. And that's what Nebuchadnezzar was doing. But it's a big surprise for Nebuchadnezzar because God was listening to that conversation and God wanted to join in. And God had waited 12 months for this man to humble himself. And if we don't humble ourselves, God will. I looked up the definition of humble, and I found this in the Cambridge Dictionary. It says this, to make someone understand that they are not as important or special as they thought. And God is going to say to Nebuchadnezzar, you know, Nebuchadnezzar, I am the great I am, not you. Mine is the kingdom that will last, not yours. I am sovereign over all things, not you. I gave you this kingdom. And because of your pride, I'm going to take the lot from you. And God will do what he says he will do. Because Nebuchadnezzar came back from this walk, not a proud man, not walking upright with his chest puffed out, but probably on all fours, snarling and probably drool coming out of his mouth. I mean, imagine the palace staff. They must have seen this guy and like, hey, what's happened with the king? Like this guy's off his head. He's gone mad. And they probably shooed him out into one of his little private gardens and he ran off and started digging in the grass. 
And he stayed that way for seven years until his nails were long and he had hair like eagle's feathers. I mean, his royal robes must have been nothing but rags on him. And he stayed that way for seven years. Until one day, Nebuchadnezzar, with the mind of an animal, looks up to heaven. Now, I want you to think about this. Do you notice with the animals, they don't actually spend that much time staring up at the stars and the heavens, right? Your pet cats and dogs are not usually staring up at the stars. But here Nebuchadnezzar, when he finally lifts his head and he looks to heaven, it says his sanity came back to him. And he begins to praise and pray and worship God. And the staff must have seen this. What's happened to the king? He's not scratching around in the garden anymore. He's standing up with his arms outraised, looking to heaven, singing the Lord's praises. And probably in that moment, Nebuchadnezzar had probably never, ever been more sane. Because you see, Nebuchadnezzar wasn't just insane for seven years. He had missed the point his whole life life. But now he sees it. Now he looks up. Now I see your goodness. I see your kindness. I see your glory. I see that it's your kingdom. And the story has this incredible happy ending. Now Nebuchadnezzar is a man who bows the knee to God. It sees it as his kingdom. He speaks about God, sends out decree. I want everyone to know. And Nebuchadnezzar got his kingdom back. And it says he became even greater than he was before. But there's a huge difference now. Now God could trust him with the power he had. And Nebuchadnezzar was a changed man. Instead of saying, I am Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, he would say, by the grace of God, by the unmerited favor of God, I'm king of Babylon. Now why is this important? Why is this important for us? I mean, the message is fairly simple. Pride goes before a fall. And God will not tolerate a man's pride. He will not share his glory with another. And you know, the truth is that God breaks our pride. He breaks my pride because he loves us. Because my pride left unchecked destroys me. It destroys who I am. It destroys the identity that I have in Christ. It takes that away. And furthermore, it destroys relationships with people around you because you think, I'm so good, I'm so puffed up. And it destroys relationships. And thirdly, it robs God of his glory. You know what? We don't need Babylon to be proud. Sometimes, all we need is a nice garden. Isn't this my garden which I have created for my glory? Or a house, right? A lot of people are house proud. Is this not my house which I have created for my comfort and my enjoyment? Or maybe something a little bit closer to home, your ministry Is this not my ministry which I have created for myself? Or your career, same thing. Sometimes I think it's even our children. Are these not my wonderful children that I have raised? You know what? 
The Lord gave you your garden. The Lord gives you your house. The Lord gives you your ministry. The Lord gives you the work that you are to do. The Lord has blessed you with children if you have children. And God will not share his glory with another. You know how silly our pride must look to God? So um, we've just moved into a house in Hope Valley. And we've, we've never lived in a house before, right? We've always lived in a flat in Hong Kong, you know, to get outside, you have to go in a lift up and down. And, and now we live in this house, and it's incredible. We're loving it, right? There's space, and we have a garden, and it's awesome. Uh, but I'm also working out that living in a house, there's a whole lot of other stuff, right? That you've got to look after this house. You've got to mow the lawn and clean out the gutters. And, and gum trees are not just beautiful, but they also give you a whole lot of stuff in your gutter. So... Um, I'm learning. I don't know what I'm doing, right? I have no idea what I'm doing, but I'm kind of learning how to look after a house. So uh, I went to Bunnings. And by the way, Bunnings is awesome. You know, I, I used to think that the best thing about Australia was Tim Tams, but now I'm convinced it's Bunnings. So I'm going to go and get that, that voucher that Jeff promised. It's just awesome, right? Every time I, I tell my wife I'm going to Bunnings, she shakes her head and, okay, there, he's gone for four hours. Uh, but I went to Bunnings and I bought a ladder and I, I came home and I, now I'm going to attempt to clean the gutters. And uh, I took outside with me a little plastic step, right? A little plastic stool because my, my daughter's with me, little five-year-old Daniela. And I climb up the, the ladder and I'm on the roof and I hear my little girl shout at me, look at me, look at me. And I look down and she's standing on this little plastic step this high off the ground. And I'm like, as a dad, well done, honey, that's awesome, you know, good job. But you know, that's, that's how our pride must be to God, right? Perspective, you're standing on something this tall. Look at my kingdom, look where I am, look at my glory and everything I see. And you're proud of standing on a little plastic step. You know, we've been reading this morning about a king who had power, he had dominion, he had authority. But what did he do with that power and authority and dominion? He used it for himself, to puff himself up, to make himself great. But you know what? There is another king with much more power, much more authority, much more dominion, and his name is King Jesus. Now, what did Jesus do with his power? I want to read to you. just want you to listen. It comes from Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to read from verse 6. Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father." You know, we serve a king 
who is a servant. He gives. He doesn't take. He came with the express purpose to, to die for us, to love us, to bring him, to bring us into his glory. I don't need to stand on a plastic chair anymore and say, look at me, look what I've done, because he invites me to share in his glory. I don't need to have my own glory anymore. So why do I still find it so hard to let go of my pride? Why am I still tempted in those moments to exalt myself? Why do I struggle to ask for help when I desperately need it? And the truth is, I think sometimes I doubt that Jesus is enough. I doubt that his kingdom and his glory is really enough. And I need a little bit of my own. I need that sense of significance and importance rather than trusting in the sonship that he's bought for me. And I trust in him, his goodness, his kindness, his kingdom, his glory. You know, the truth is, Babylon is in ruins. Like, most people have never even heard of Babylon, right? You wouldn't even want to live there today. It's gone. It's finished. All the things that we're so proud about and so we think so highly of ourselves, they're going to be ruins. But Jesus' kingdom is one that will never, never end. And the awesome thing is he invites us to be part of that. He invites us to be part of that, share his glory with us. You know, if we are to stand in this generation and we are to be those who shine like stars as we hold out the word of life, we have to be seeking God's glory and not our own. And we have to be prepared to get off our little plastic chairs. So maybe the next time we find ourselves on a little plastic chair and we're tempted to think, look at me. Actually, maybe we just turn that back to him and say, Father, thank you for giving me a plastic chair to stand on. It is nothing compared to your kingdom and your glory. I just give you the praise. Uh, there's one thing about City Reach that my wife and I love. It's, you've got this little phrase, right? And it says this, glory to God, joy to the city. It's awesome. But you know what? We are so tempted through pride to bring glory to ourselves. And when that happens, you will use the city. We are only ever capable of bringing joy to the city when we realize it's not my kingdom. It's God's kingdom. It's God's glory that we seek. You know, this, what I love today is that it finishes with this beautiful verse. And it gets to the point where Nebuchadnezzar finally surrenders. He finally bows the knee. He gets off his little plastic chair and he realizes it's God's kingdom. And this is what he says. Verse 37. He says, now I, Nebuchadnezzar, and change that. Put your name in there. Now I, Graham, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven. For all his works are right and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he 
is able to humble. We worship and serve a wonderful king, not one who's oppressive to us, but one that invites us in to partner with him, to enjoy him, to be part of his kingdom. Let's remember that when we go out from here. Let's remember that as we go out into this week, that there are going to be moments when you are tempted to get on your little plastic chair. And in those moments to realize, actually, there's something far greater. Look up, look up, lift your eyes to heaven and realize his kingdom is so much better than that plastic chair.